0: Well, today I'm going to talk about gluttony. No, just kidding. Just (laughs) kidding. Just kidding. Uh, Jesus Jesus talked more uh, about money than he did any other topic. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. Jesus talked more about money than he did faith. He talked more about money than he did about prayer. Jesus talked more about money than every other topic. In fact, there's 2,350 scriptures that talk about stuff when it relates to money. Now, why did Jesus talk about it so much? I find it odd that some churches never talk about it. When Jesus, if he was your preacher, every third Sunday, he would be talking about it. One third of all Jesus' parables had to deal with money: the parable of the rich farmer, the parable of the rich young ruler, the parable of the, you know, the good Samaritan, um, the, the parable of the talents. Jesus talked about paying to Caesar what Caesar's rendered to God what's God. Jesus paid the temple tax, He talked about the harvest, He talked about lazy people. He talked about you wicked, lazy I mean servant, Jesus talked about, why? Because he was relevant. He was always always relevant. Now, money's something that we have to have. It just can't have us. There's a big difference. You have to have money, but money can't have you, right? And Jesus knew that you needed to be able to master money. But money can't be your can't be your master. I remember when I was in seminary, graduate school, it was three years, 90-hour program. It was awesome. It was so much theology and scripture, and it was philosophy, 25-page papers. It was Greek. It was Hebrew. It was absolutely wonderful, but it was very impractical because most people don't live there. How do I pay the mortgage? How do I stay married? How do I not kill my kids? I mean, that's where most people live, right? Right. And so, of all the classes in three years, there was one that was amazing, and it was this old guy professor. Well, come to think of, he was about my age. There was this, there was this really young guy who was the professor, and, and what he said was, he said, you need to have money. It's one of those statements that stuck with me, and I've never forgotten it. He said, you need to have money in your head, but not, never have money in your heart. I thought, I like that. How do we have money in our head but not have money in our heart? And so Jesus talks about it and talks about it and talks about it. Now, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to get to our off-course subject out of Peter and Paul, in, in, really it's more, more of Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. But before we back into that today, there's always a context. For every section of Scripture. Now, you've heard a lot of bad sermons, and you're going right now, we've heard a lot from you. Well, I don't mean, you've heard a lot of bad sermons about money in your life, and usually the reason that you've heard a bad sermon about money is it's taken out of its context. How many of you in this room have been misquoted? I mean, you said it, but it really wasn't what you said, right? Right? I mean, you did say it, but you were misquoted. How many of you have been misunderstood in a conversation? Have you been married more than six minutes, you need to raise your hand. <laughs> you've been misunderstood, haven't you? And, and so what happens is, even though you said it, you, you might not have been there to hear or understand the context in which it was said. And so the, the danger is, is taking a section of scripture about money and forming this incredible long doctrine about it, we're not going to do that today. What I want to do today is get to our off course, but there's a context to it. But before that, I want to start with a softball. Let me throw you a softball because I I want to come up with some common ground that I think we can all agree on. I think we can all agree that the Bible would not be for lazy people. Is that a good place to start? Do you agree with that? I mean, if you don't agree with that, it means you're lazy and we're going to call you out. So, So if you're lazy, stand up. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So, But the Bible's against laziness, right? Proverbs talks about this. Look at this real quickly. The lazy person will be poor. The lazy person will irritate those around him, right? Right? Don't look around right now. Just keep your head focused on the screen. The lazy person uh, will serve someone else. These are all from Proverbs. The lazy person will never be satisfied, and the lazy person will have difficult obstacles to overcome and they'll be paranoid. They'll be paranoid of unrealistic danger because they haven't worked hard and saved and done all the things that he or she was supposed to do, right? All right, that was the softball. We've got a funnel today. We're kind of coming in a little bit to where we eventually get to our off course. We're coming to off course in just a minute. So here's the next one. This is a little bit more, more difficult. Here's the next three. These are fill-ins in your bulletin if you're a note taker and you want to write in. Number one, here's a misconception I want to give you three misconceptions about money. Number one, it's unspiritual to be rich. Well, if that's true, then what about the patriarchs? Because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were incredibly wealthy. Flocks and herds and farms and fields. And what about the kings? David gave in today's currency about $54 billion to help raise and build the temple for Solomon. If it's wrong to be rich, then what about Joseph of Arimathea, who had the tomb that Jesus could be buried in? Somebody had a house big enough for the upper room. Somebody had to have a large enough house for all the boys to come in and people to come in. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus had a big house. All the disciples stayed there, and they fed them continuously. So that, that's a misconception that it's unspiritual to be rich. Number two, it's spiritual to be poor. Well, you can be spiritual and be poor. You've lost a job, or you've gone through a divorce, or there's a health issue, but, but there's nothing scriptural about being poor that makes you a, a more spiritual person. Misconception number three. Prosperity is a sign of God's favor. Well, I do think God prospers his people, but there are a lot of prosperous people who do not necessarily have God's hand of favor upon them. The Chinese have over a hundred billion billionaires, and I bet not all hundred of them are godly people. Some of them might be. The Russians have over 100 billion, I'm sorry, have over 100 billionaires as well, and they're probably not all godly people. Our country has over 400 billionaires, and we wouldn't say that every billionaire is necessarily a godly person, would we? So prosperity is from the hand of God, but it's not only from the hand of God. So we come to our off-course topic this morning, and what happens here in this is it's a context. And in in today's context, you got to read it in today's context. So follow me carefully here or it won't make sense in just a minute. There'll be another bad sermon, okay? The context is these Gentiles were convinced that they could do certain things to gain God's favor. And if they jump through certain hoops, they were then going to get God in on their deal. In other words, we can manipulate God. We are Gentiles. We're used to polytheism. We're used to a lot of idol worship. We're used to going to the temple. If we can just do certain things and not really mean it, not really care about it, but if we just go through these motions, then somehow God will be manipulated. A month ago, four weeks ago, I was doing a funeral at Curlew Hills big, big funeral, Finish the funeral, and we're coming out kind of in the large vestibule area, and it's just packed full of people right after the funeral, and they're getting ready to wheel the casket out, and this guy comes up to me about about this high. Again, we're pressed with lots of people. He leans over to me, and he says, I really don't believe what you believe about Jesus. I said, okay, and he said, but I go to church two or three times a year. I said, okay, He said, no, I told you, I don't believe what you believe. And I said, yeah, uh, okay. He said, but I'm hedging my bets just in case you're right. (laughs) I thought that was hilarious. I did. I didn't even know how to respond to this guy. You know, I I think that's the context. I'm not really sure that God's real. I'm not sure that there's just one God in, in, in the day when Paul was writing. But, but just in case, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hedge my bets. And he's saying, no, 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 that, that's not what you can do. You want to be godly. There is a, a value in being godly, but you don't do godly things just to get God in on your business. So here we go. Here's the off course scripture for today. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll start with verse 6. Here we go. He says, Yeah yeah, godliness is great gain, Godliness with contentment, it really is great gain. You, you want to be godly, and you want to be godly with, with what you have. And so in other words, when you think about money, just hold on that for just a second. You think about this, you, you think about well, like where's the place to start with all these parables of Jesus, all these scriptures of Jesus, all these verses, 2,350 verses, where in the world do I start? I think the parable of the talents is where you start. Jesus tells this parable, and one guy had one, was a one-talent guy, well, given one talent. One guy was given two talents, and one guy was given five talents. And the goal was, go out and make something with the resources. And the application was crystal clear. There are one-talent people in this room. There are two-talent people in this room. And there are five-talent people in this room. The point is not whether you're a five, two, or a one, or you're a one, two, and a five the point from Jesus's parable is what are you doing with your life how are you leveraging what he has given you and the only person that got really slammed in this was the first one because the first guy wasn't doing anything really with his life it wasn't about the money it was his life and so when you think about where do we begin we begin with who we are so if you're a one talent person You're content with that. Now, I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. If you're a two-talent person, that's how God wired you. If you're a five-talent person, that's how God wired you. And so you want to be godly. The godliness and the contentment, it is great gain. Hang on with me. Don't take this out of context yet. We're not done. Because at the end of the message, I'm going to give you a sentence that has been my target now for over 25 or 30 years. And I think it's going to be incredibly practical. Look at verse 6. He says, those who want to get rich, now let's just stop right there. Who's rich? Who's rich? According to these great statistics, if you have $4,000 worth of assets, you're in the top 50% of world wealth. If you have 70% Sorry, not, not, hang with me, $75,000 of assets, you're in the top 10% of world wealth. If you have $753,000 or more of assets, you are in the top 1% of all world wealth. Now, unless you're a student or unless you've just gone through a financial disaster, everybody in this room unless there's a calamity crisis has at least $4,000 worth of assets most in this room have at least $75,000 worth of assets and just about everybody in this room has or will have $753,000 worth of assets at some point in his or her life so so who's rich well, we are. The funny thing about the rich conversation is nobody really feels rich because everybody always looks to somebody to the right. Now, don't look to the right right now, okay? But I'm just saying, you, you always look to somebody who has more. And so you always say to yourself, you know, well, I know I'm, I'm comfortable and things are good, but man, look at her or, or, or look at him. We never look to the left. When it comes to about being rich... We always look to the right to somebody who who has more. And so here's the off course. Those who want to get rich can fall into temptation. Now, I love that word fall. Circle the word fall. Because it's a whole lot easier to fall than it is to climb. It may take 25 years to build your business or to build your client base or to build your whatever. 25 years to build it it only takes about 25 minutes to fall. You can fall in 25 minutes. You can fall a whole lot faster than you ever can climb. Anybody say amen, Are y'all just brain dead out there? I mean, do you agree with this? I mean, you're, you're wondering where I'm going next. All right. Those who want to get rid they fall. And there's a temptation. There's a trap. They get into many foolish and harmful desires. And here's the next word. It plunges people. I mean, it's a downward spiral. This is why Jesus is saying, you got to master money, but money can't master you. It's why Jesus says, you got to have money in your head, but not in your heart. You got to have it, but it can't have you. It's so critical. It's why Jesus teaches all these incredible verses. Look at the next verse. For the love of money, and people misquote this, people say money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. Money's paper. Paper. Money's silver and gold and coins. Money's money. Money's neutral. It's the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, this is not a good word. Pierced. Nobody wants to be impaled. That's painful. I've never been impaled, but I don't want to be impaled. Right? It's painful. And so, what he's saying here is, is that. You know people who've done this. Now, i got a hundred stories I could tell right now, and I'm not going to tell any of them. I want you to think about your stories. Because you've got a story about this that you can tell. You know somebody in your family who's plunged and gotten pierced, and they've fallen because they were greedy. Everybody in this room's got a story about a friend Who's truly fallen off the wagon because of resources and because of money? Everybody in the room can tell a neighbor story, a coworker, a business partner, someone you, you, you went to school with. Everybody's got their own story, don't we? But that's not, that's not what we want. We, we don't want this. Here's what we want. Look at the next couple of verses. Out of Proverbs. This is what you want. A faithful person will be richly blessed. They got their heart right, and, and, and God, then God goes, I can trust her. I can trust him. I don't know about you, but that verse that says he can be trusted with little, but can be trusted with much, I mean, that, that's a verse that haunts me all the time. Because a faithful person will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. That's what you want. You want to be faithful. And I, I love the next one. This is one of my verses I've committed to, to memory. Proverbs chapter 10, verse, verse 22. It says... It is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. And I've memorized it in this translation. The Lord adds favor and wealth, but he adds no trouble to it. You don't want trouble. You want his blessings, but you don't want trouble. Nobody wants trouble that comes to it. All right, let's go to verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 says, okay, here's where you're off course. If you're not careful, you're going to plunge. If you're not careful, you're going to fall. If you're not careful, you're going to get pierced. But here's what I want you to do. There's something even more important than money. I want you to flee from all this stuff about trying to manipulate God. I want you to get away from the idea that you can somehow convince God to get on your deal when you really don't even like Him and love Him. You're just trying to manipulate Him. What I want you to do is to pursue righteousness, and pursue godliness, and pursue faith, and love, and endurance, and, and gentleness. All right, three more quick fill-ins under verse 11, and we'll come back to verse 11. Here we go. Number one, these are challenges. Challenges. Money can create a feeling of superiority. It, it certainly can. It's real easy if you have a little bit. We all have a little bit, and a lot of bit, some, some to feel superior. Number two, It can create a false sense of self-sufficiency because we have something we think that we won't get sick or we won't get hurt or we won't have a loss. That isn't true. Number three, uh, the challenge is it, it will simply add more responsibility. So leave these up for just a minute if you would. You see, the more you have, the more responsibility you have. When you didn't have a car, you didn't have to worry about tires, did you? when you didn't have a car, you didn't have to worry about a new battery. When you didn't have a car, you didn't have to worry about buying gasoline, right? But every time you have more in life, more just equals more responsibility. Now think about this. Every time you get promoted, there are more problems. Every promotion equals more problems. More money equals more responsibility. If you have more money, you got more people coming to you telling you how you could invest it or what you can do with it, right? More, more anything adds more responsibility. In fact, the reason you keep getting promoted is because you have the ability to solve problems. And the people who solve the most problems are the people who are paid the highest. So your income goes up because you have the ability to solve more problems than the other people around you. Yes? No? You see that? My friend, Jeff, owned a crane company, worked for, started his own crane company business. He hired his mother. That's the first mistake. <laughs> Hires his mother. And they're selling, <laughs> they're selling crane rentals all day long. And so while she's answering the phone, it's a small company, she's answering the phone, she's also doing all the paperwork. And while she's doing the paperwork, people keep calling to rent cranes. Finally, one afternoon, she said, I just wish all these people would quit calling. They've all got these problems. I just want to get my paperwork done. And Jeff said, Mom, we rent cranes. Because people have problems, we make money. And he said to me, how do you fire your mom? I said, you don't. I can't help you on that one, brother. You're on your own. All right, back to verse 11. I want you to pursue this. I want you to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The next verse, verse 12, says this. So fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us. Now, I want, I want to talk about this for just a minute. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. There are some two-talent people, and there are some five-talent people who have more than one-talent people have. And, and then there's, a, there's the temptation or the tendency sometimes to feel guilty because you have something new, Or something shinier, or something faster, or something brighter, or something bigger, or whatever it is. Yeah, look what the scriptures say. He has richly provided everything for your enjoyment. There is nothing wrong with you enjoying some of the fruit of your labor. There's nothing wrong with you enjoying some of the perks and things that come along with it. Now, again, hang on because I'm going to give you a context for this just at the end of the sermon. But I want you to not miss this verse. He richly provides everything for your enjoyment. So stop feeling guilty about what you have. Stop feeling guilty about some of your perks. Now, if you never give and you're self-centered and you're selfish and all that, you should feel incredibly guilty. Okay, Hope you feel guilty about that, all right? (laughs) But that's not what he's trying to say here. He's trying to say here that God has really blessed you, and so enjoy the blessings that your heavenly Father gives you. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. All right, let's look at the next verse. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be willing to share. Well, of course they are. You can't just do your own thing, but you you also are entitled to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if your heavenly father blesses you, enjoy the blessings that your heavenly father has given to you. All right. I want to share two attitudes. I'm still coming to my main sentence in just a minute. We're not there yet. I want to share two attitudes. Attitude number one is to pursue spiritual riches. So important. Pursue spiritual riches. There was a rich guy who's about to die. told his wife, I want to take my money with me. So get all my money together, put it in a brown paper sack, go up in the attic. We're going to put it in the attic. We're going to hang it on the nail from the rafters. Sure enough, the guy dies. And the woman ran up to the attic to see if the sack was still there. Sure enough, the sack was still there. Because see, he, his goal was to grab, get, gather it, grab it on the way up to heaven. And, and the wife just sees the sack up there in the attic, and she shook her head, and she said, you know, I knew I should have put that sack in the basement. I love that joke. I'm sorry. I love that. I rarely tell jokes, but I had to tell that one today. All right. Pursue spiritual riches. And the Scriptures, sorry, the Scriptures tell us that there are at least five components that are far more important than riches. Here's the first one. Look at this. Five things more important than money. It's your reputation. Your reputation is definitely more important than money. Look what he says. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Reputation, number one. Number two is wisdom. Wisdom is so valuable. Reputation, wisdom. Here we go. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Number three, there's three things at least more important than money, and that's your integrity, your reputation, your wisdom, your integrity. Here's what he says about integrity. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Wisdom, instruction, and insight as well, Proverbs 23. That's a great proverb. Buy the truth, buy the truth, and do not sell it. Number four, there's four things at least more important than money. Number four is intelligence. Absolutely, intelligence. Look what he says. Gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. Proverbs 20. There's a fifth thing more important than money. It's harmonious relationships. I think we'd all agree on that. People matter more than money, this they should. Here's what he says. Better a small serving of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Proverbs 15, verse 17. So the first one is to pursue spiritual riches. That's an attitude number two. Handle your money with integrity. What a witness this is for us. For us to pay our bills. For us to pay our taxes. For us to be generous with the waitress at the restaurant. For us to be generous with people. What a a witness our money is. Handle your money with integrity. Master the, your money. Don't let don't let it become your master. All right. Here's my sentence. And this sentence for me, I want to I want to build it stage for just a second. before you put it up, Deb. It's not in the Bible. It's not scripture. But it's from this old guy who lived three or four hundred years ago, who's a great preacher, great leader, great teacher, great theologian. And this this one sentence has been Danita's and my target. We've been married 32 years. I, I would say all 32 years of our marriage. 32 years this has been in front of us for our, our entire marriage. Here's what John Wesley said. John Wesley said to do this. He said, earn all you can, save all you can, and give all you can. He said, earn all you can. Now, when you look at this sentence, find where you fit and I want you right now to pay attention to where you're a little bit, your, your stomach's tur- churning or turning. I call that pay attention to the tension. Because right now, maybe you're at the first place. You need to earn all that you can. You're, you're in a stage of life where you need to be earning. Maybe you're not in a stage of life with that. Maybe you're past number one. But if you're in a stage of life, you should earn all that you possibly can. But the second tension that goes along with that is, is you should save all that you can. You don't hear saving in church very often, do you? Of course you should save. You should save for a rainy day. You should save for family and friends. You should save for giving opportunity. Of course you should save. So you earn all that you can. You save all that you can. But also then you, you give all that you can. And you say, well, preacher, those are three different tensions that just don't make sense. I think they make perfect sense. I think when you think about these three, like three bands all pulling against each other, that's been a target, that's been a compass for us. So, yeah, where, where do you need to work on? Which of those three or all those three or which, which of those mean the most to you? And then you apply that to you today because I need to earn. I need to earn all I can. I ought to be saving. I'm, I'm not really saving anything. I ought to save. I, I ought to be giving. The giving's different than tithing. Tithing's a no-brainer. Tithing's clear as a bell. Giving's beyond that. Giving is, I, I've been so blessed, I want, to, I want to make a difference in my life. And so John Wesley said, earn all you can. But you don't hear that in church very often either, do you? Earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. Which of those three, or all of those three? What's the context and the application for your life? Well, obviously, we want you to become a Christian, and if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, that's primarily and most important. And these verses tell us this in First Timothy chapter six, eighteen and nineteen. This is so valuable. Command those who are rich to be command those who do good to be rich in good deeds, to be willing to share. But here's verse nineteen. In this way, they will lay a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming ages. Jesus is coming again. And if you've not given your life to Christ, it is the most important decision you could make today. So they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So our prayer partners are going to be down front this morning. If you would like prayer about earning money, saving money, giving money, come down and ask for prayer. Most definitely, if you would like to ask for prayer about how do I give my life to Jesus, come down front today, and we'll help you with that. Would you stand? Our prayer partners are going to come down front, and I'll close this in prayer. And I do hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving, and I'm not about to preach on gluttony next week either, okay? Oh, God, you've blessed us with so much. And yet we have such responsibility. I mean, it doesn't really matter for one talent, two talent, or five talent. What matters is what we do with it. Help us to leverage our lives for you and for our families and for our friends. and All the great things that we can do with you and for you. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.